Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life, so we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at www.christchapelcollege.org and on Instagram at Christ Chapel College. Well, good morning. Man, I'm excited to be with you guys. My name is Asher Fraley. I'm one of the residents here. <laughs> you guys need to calm down. If I start crying, my glasses are going to fog up. So um, I am off the wall amped to be with you guys this morning. We're going to have a great time together. If you haven't been able to be with us the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts, right? Taking a, a zoomed in look at the early church and really trying to address this question of how did we get here, right? Looking at the idea of how did we get here. And today we're going to take the next step in that journey. And but before we really do that, though, before we really get into it, I think that we should take a quick moment and just preview our time, really hone in on what's going to be the big idea, what's the main theme, the main thesis for our time, and really map out our trajectory of where we're going to go. So the main theme, the main idea for this morning is this, that it is better to surrender our plans to be a part of God's greater plan. It's better to, to lay down our plans to be a part of God's greater plan. And the passage that we've got that really highlights this is going to be Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, whatever it is, go ahead and flip on over there because that's where we're going to be hanging out for the majority of our time this morning. But before, before we really get into it, I don't want to just share a quick story with you guys to hopefully set the stage for our time this morning. So in this story, we're going to go back Back in time, I think about, math majors, check me here, I think about five years. This is the summer of 2014, okay? So this is the summer of 2014, the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And I think it's about June, so I've been out of school by about a month or so by this point. One day, I'm in my room, and I'm just sitting at my desk, you know, probably playing some dumb game on Steam or something. I don't really know. And <laughs> my mom comes in, and she drops this bomb on me. Okay, so she walks in the door, and she's like, hey, hon, your dad and I have decided to send you on a trip this summer. We want you to go to Summit Ministries in Colorado Springs. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, I just kind of blink, and I'm like, Summit what? She says, Summit Ministries in Colorado Springs. This is a two-week-long apologetics conference. And I'm like, okay, English, mom. Like, I barely speak that language alone. You lost me at apologetics. What on earth is that? And I quickly come to find out that I was about to spend two weeks soaking up eight hours of conference time per day learning apologetics, which is how to defend your faith, the reason why you believe what you believe, and to justify justify. And so that's what I quickly found out that I was going to do, and I was not a happy camper. I was like, that's absolutely the, the last thing that I wanted to do. Like, if I had a list of everything that I wanted to do this summer, that's on the bottom. I did not want to go and spend 80 plus hours of my hard-earned summer learning. That's what I call school. This is summer. That's not what I wanted to do, okay? Thankfully, I didn't get a choice in the matter and those two weeks radically changed the trajectory of my life and my walk with God. 
So why do I say that? Why do I say that story? For this reason, it was not my plan to go there. I did not want to do that. That's the last thing that I wanted to do. It was not my plan to go, but that plan was better. That plan was radically better than how I would have spent those two weeks, right? And so we're going to get to see in our passage today, we're going to get to see an example of someone who is on their own path. They have their own plans. They're going their own direction, and God's going to redirect them. And we're going to see the outcome of their obedience. So hopefully you're in Acts chapter 16. Again, we're in verses 6 through 10, but before we really actually read it, I think we should kind of give a little bit of context so that we're all on the same page here. So Acts 16 is going to open up with these two main characters, okay? You got Paul and you got Silas. And Paul and Silas are our missionaries, and they're on their second missionary go- journey going to preach the gospel and visit some churches and some cities that they've been a part of uh, up until this point. And so they go and they meet this guy named Timothy. And Timothy is a major player in the New Testament, okay? We actually know later on that Paul's going to write two different letters to Timothy. First and, well, second, Timothy, go figure. And he's going to clarify some really crucial guidelines kind of for leaders in the church. And so Timothy's this major player, and he partners up with them on their journey. And that leads us to where we are today. So in verse 6, if you've got to go ahead and follow along with me, it'll, I think it'll be on the screen. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Trous, and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. So this vision appears to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Stop right there. So you might be wondering, okay, what on earth was that about? Because that just sounded like some crazy hodgepodge itinerary gone wrong to me. Don't worry, you're not alone in that. So we actually have a map, I believe, awesome. Lozo, you're amazing. So this here. This point is Antioch. So that's kind of where, that's where Paul and Silas start their journey. They launch out of Antioch and they kind of go northwest. And this red line highlights their travel. So they go northwest, they meet up with Timothy, and eventually they come to Asia. And so Paul's ready. He's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to preach the gospel in Asia. And what happens? The Holy Spirit forbids him from preaching the gospel in Asia. Forbids him from preaching the gospel in Asia. We don't know really why or how that happened, but the text says that the Holy Spirit forbids them from preaching the gospel in Asia. So Paul's like, hey, no worries. Change of plans. Bithynia is kind of, what is that? Northeast, northeast of Asia. So Paul's like, hey, no worries. I'm going to go east into Bithynia. Boom. The Holy Spirit shows up again and says, no, I don't want you to go into Bithynia. Let's, Let's take a second and pause. Imagine if you're Paul. Put yourself in Paul's shoes at this point, because if you're Paul, you're a missionary, you're going, you want to preach the gospel to people, that's a good thing, and God is literally forbidding you from telling people about the message of Jesus in certain regions, literally forbidding you, and and he doesn't do it just once, he does it twice, right? Like, if that were me, I would be so frustrated, like, I'm trying to go, and I'm trying to follow God's plan, 
And he keeps on redirecting me. Let's look at how Paul responds. God gives Paul a vision, a vision of this man from Macedonia, and Paul immediately responds with obedience. And so the point of this isn't to understand this complex pilgrimage that Paul goes on, right? The point of this is to understand that Paul had his own plans. He had his own plans. I'm going to go here, 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 and here. God shows up and says, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to come here. And Paul lays down his own plans. He gives up his own plans to go and be a part of God's greater plan. Right? So that's the story that we see. And so for the rest of our time this morning, for the rest of our time, I want us to go ahead and focus in. And we're going to paint a picture of what it looks like for us as a church, us as the body of Christ, to live in such a way where we actively surrender our own plans to be a part of God's greater plans. And I think in order for us to do this, in order for us to do this right, we've got to ask ourselves two foundational questions, okay? We've got to ask ourselves the why and the how, the why. Okay, why, Ash? You're like, why should I do that? Why should I forgo my own plans to be a part of God's plan? Like, what am I going to gain from doing that? And then that's followed up with the how of, okay, how does that look like? What does this look like in my life? How is that played out in the way that I live? So those are the two questions. That's where we're going to go. Those are the ones we're going to tackle. And then the end, we're going to tie it all together. So jumping right in now to take a look at that first question, the question, why? Why should we surrender our plan to be a part of God's plan? The answer that we get in the passage is really simple. God's plan is better. Like his plan is more effective. His plan is going to produce more. It's going to have an abundantly larger outcome than our own plan. And before we really see how this gets played out in the passage, I think we need to go back and realize something really critical here. Like Paul's desire was to go east, right? He wanted to go east towards Bithynia. God shows up, redirects him to go west. Was that just an arbitrary decision? Was, was God's redirection totally meaningless? Was God looking down in heaven thinking, okay, I see that Paul is here, Bithynia is over here, and I see that Paul wants to go, he wants to go east towards Bithynia, and Bithynia is cool and all, and, but Macedonia is over there. Man, interesting. Let's see, angels, what do you guys think? Michael, Gabriel, Bithynia? No, don't go to Bithynia. Good point. I like that. Let's go to Macedonia. And he shoots Paul off to Macedonia. Is that how it happened? Was it just this kind of whim-based decision? No. God's plan had a specific purpose behind it. There was a meaning for why God redirected Paul to go a different direction than what he intended. And we see this plan start to take shape in the next couple of verses in the passage. So verse 11, this is right after, right where we left off in verse 10. I think it'll be up on the screen here. So setting sail from Trous, we, and this is this trio, Paul, Silas, Timothy, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And then this is, this is important. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city Someday. So Paul, he goes west and he sp spends a significant chunk of time in the city called Philippi, right? And we know from the passage that God, that Paul has an extremely 
effective and an abundantly successful time comes out of Paul's, Paul's ministry in the city of Philippi. We see these three different stories play out, okay? So Paul, in the rest of chapter 16, this is one chapter, so Paul, Silas, they're going along, and they meet this, this woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia, in, in the passage, her title, like if we were to give her a title, it would be like trader or merchant of purple goods. We don't know exactly what those are, but she's a trader merchant of purple goods, and she loves God. She has a heart for God, but she's young, and she's a little bit immature in her faith. And so Paul and Silas come. They talk to her. She gets baptized, but not just her, her and her whole family. Okay, so then they go on, and they meet this other person. And this one, this is even crazier than the last one. So they come across this girl who literally has a demonic spirit of divination, Paul prays over her in Jesus' name, and the spirit leaves. So this girl gets freed from the spirit of divination, and then all the men, there, there was these group of guys that owned this girl, and they made money off of her because she had the spirit of divination. They get mad. They like, they're like, you just, you just like took away all of our ability to earn money now. And so they get mad, and they go, and they grab Paul and Silas, and they throw them down into the middle of like the city. The middle of the city, they're beating them up. They're kind of roughhousing them. And then the officials of the city come, and they're like, what's going on, you guys? And they're like, these men, like they're disrupting our peace. And they're like, oh my goodness, you guys have only been here a couple days. And they take, the, they take Paul and Silas, and then they throw them in prison. Like Paul and Silas have been following God's plan for like a couple days now, and they're in jail. Okay, they've been following God's plan for a couple days, and they're in jail. And midnight comes while they're in prison, and they're found singing songs. They're like worshiping God, right? Crazy, wild. They're worshiping God, and then this holy, the Holy Spirit has this earthquake happen. This earthquake happens, and we get this picture of like bars breaking and chains snapping off, and, and the prisoners can go free. And this jailer, who is supposed to be looking over and, and having an eye on the prisoners, he comes to his senses. He's like, oh my goodness, all the prisoners just escaped. Out of honor, I'm gonna take my own life. And Paul and Silas are like, hey, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And so they have this radical conversation and the jailer's like, I wanna give my life to Christ. I wanna be saved. What must I do? He gets baptized and then him and his whole family. And so in just one chapter, in just one chapter, we see these three absolutely crazy, miraculous stories of God showing up. And it wasn't even Paul's plan to go there. It wasn't his plan. This isn't even the end of the story. We know from Paul's ministry, his time in Philippi, that this ends up birthing the first Christian community. And we know from Paul's letter to the Philippian church that it, this ends up probably being the healthiest church that Paul got to be a part of. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we have all these letters, right, that Paul sends to, you know, people, and he actually sends nine different and unique letters to various churches. And, and generally, overall, in pretty much all of them, he, he comes alongside them and he either corrects or reprimands or rebukes some way that they were off or misled in their understanding of the gospel. And so Paul writes to this church in Corinth and he rebukes them because they tolerated sin within the church. They tolerated sin within the church. And then he writes to this church in Rome and he checks them in regard to some 
foundational gospel truths, being that of grace and the law. And then he writes to this church in Galatia, and he rebukes them because they had turned to a works-based gospel. And then he writes to the Ephesians. He writes to this church in Ephesus, and he says, hey guys, you guys stay in unity with one another. And then he writes to this church in Colossae, the Colossians, and he says, hey, make sure you're not influenced by worldly philosophies. Like, don't be deceived by that. And then he writes to this church in Philippi. He writes this Philippian church, this church that he got to be a part of through God's redirection, and he doesn't warn them, and he doesn't rebuke them, and he doesn't correct them or reprimand them. He simply encourages them, and he exhorts them for partnering with him in the message of the gospel. And out of all the churches that Paul gets to be a part of through his incredible ministry, this is arguably the healthiest one. Which happened because it was Paul's plan to go there? No. It happened because Paul was faithful to obey God's redirection, and out of his faithfulness, God produced an effective ministry far greater than his own. So stepping out in faith to be a part of God's plan is radically more effective than our own. Question. Do we believe that? Like, do we have the eyes that see, okay, yes, I see that God's plan is gonna be more effective than my own because the reality is maybe some of us are there right now. Maybe some of us are in a season of God changing and redirecting our plans. And it's so easy to look back on retrospect and say, yeah, I can look back and I can see how it ended up being better. Like I can, five years later, I can look back at my time at Summit Ministries and say, yeah, that was so much of a better plan, but it's hard in the moment. It's hard in the moment. So maybe this is you, maybe you're going through a change of plans right now. Maybe for some of you, maybe you're a senior and you had your eyes set on this job. You wanted to work for this company. You, you did all the right steps. You applied for it, and then they call you back, and they say, hey, we've decided to go with someone else. And that's hard. And, and maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe you thought that you would have met that special someone by this time in college. But the semesters go by, and it hasn't happened. And maybe, maybe your dad got laid off from work, or you have a family member who lost a job, and y'all are having to work out as a family, like how you're going to work through that. So maybe you're in the midst of God changing your plans right now. And if, if so, if that is us, do we have the eyes to see it? Do we have the eyes to see that God's plan is better? And if we don't, how do we develop that vision? How do we develop the perspective. It starts with being obedient where you are. Obedience, the willingness to do whatever it is that God calls you to do within the new direction. So let's, let's paint a picture here, picture here. Imagine what it would look like if Paul had not been obedient within God's redirection. Paul could have been like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to go to Macedonia, goes to Philippi. He's like, man, I really don't want to be here where's the nearest coffee shop? Okay, there's a dwell. I'm going to go in there. It goes inside, posts up, sits at the little corner desk, pops out his journal, starts some quality anger management writing, just ranting and asking God, why did you do this? Why did you do this, God? Why did you change my plans? Because this isn't where I want to be. But Paul didn't do that. He didn't do that. He kept 
ministering the way he always had. He kept ministering the way that he always had. And, and on top of that, that Paul, he didn't just begrudgingly obey. Right? He wasn't just like, okay, I guess I'll obey because I have to. No, he trusted God. He had the vision. He saw that God was moving, and he trusted God, and he obeyed, and it was radically effective because of it. So be willing to obey whatever God calls you to do within the new direction. But it, it, wasn't, just, it wasn't just that Paul was willing to obey. It wasn't just that he had a good attitude about it. There's another aspect. There's another aspect of Paul's obedience, which is that it was immediate. Paul responds and he's willing, and then he also responds immediately. The text says that, that he gets this vision of this man in Macedonia, and he says, immediately we went there, concluding that it was the will of God. He immediately responds in obedience. It, it's not like Paul woke up from the vision and was like, okay, well... I guess I'm supposed to go to Macedonia, but just to make sure, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to camp out here. I'm going to go ahead and camp out where I'm at for a few weeks, and I'm just going to pray about it, and I'm going to see if that's really what I'm supposed to do. That's not what he did. God redirects him, and he responds immediately. I'm not going to ask, you know, 17 different people for their opinions. I'm not going to think about it for a few months. I'm not going to study it in the Greek. I'm not going to wait about it. I'm not going to drag it out. If God redirects us, we respond obediently, and our obedience is immediate. Because delayed obedience is not true obedience. So how do we, how do we develop the eyes to see? We're obedient where we are, and we're obedient immediately. And when we do this, when we do that, we gain the perspective. We gain the perspective. We gain the eyes to see that knows exactly what's going on and that his plan is radically better than our own. So in Isaiah 55 verse 9, God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so for us, that can be a comfort. That can be a comfort that says, okay, I admit that I don't have the whole perspective. I see that my thoughts are down here. My vision is down here. I have a vastly limited perspective, but I trust God and I know that he has a vantage point that sees the whole thing. That God's vantage point sees the entire picture as high as the heavens are above the earth. God sees it all. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly why he's redirecting you. He knows exactly the purpose behind that redirection. He knows exactly that his redirection is better than your plan. I think that if we're going to talk about this idea of redirection, this idea of God changing our plans. We need to take it to its rightful end. We need, to, we need to look at the ultimate example of redirection. And so I want to I close our time this morning by taking a look at the greatest change of plans in the history of the world. The greatest change of plans in the history of the world. It occurred 
2,000 years ago, when the Son of God was born in this manger in the town of Bethlehem. You see, the Jews had all these, they had all these prophecies prophesying a king, that a king is going to come. A king is going to come, and he's going to reign and establish his rule, and he's going to save us from our oppressors. And they got a king, but the king that they got looked radically different than the king that they were expecting. Their expectations did not match with the far superior reality. The Jews were expecting a king to conquer their enemies. Jesus came to conquer death. The Jews were expecting a king to overthrow the Romans. Jesus came to overthrow sin. The Jews were expecting their king to restore Jerusalem. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. The Jews were expecting a king to be born in this palace. Jesus was born in a manger. The Jews were expecting an earthly kingdom. Jesus established a heavenly kingdom. The Jews were expecting a king to save and to rescue only themselves. And Jesus came to rescue the whole world. Amen. And at the end of the story, near the end of the story, they, they crucify him. And they nail him to a tree. And they didn't have the eyes to see. They didn't have this perspective to see that God's plan, that Jesus, the king that they got, was so much greater than everything that they had imagined. Everything that they could have possibly fathomed, that Jesus, his splendor and his majesty and his magnificence far eternally outweighed everything that they thought and everything that we thought. And so my, my hope and prayer for us, us as the body of Christ, is that we can be a people who actively surrenders our own plans, who lays down our own plans to be a part of God's greater plan. And if we ever need reminding, we can look at the cross as the ultimate example of how God's plans are so much better, of how Jesus is so much better than our plans. Let me pray. Father in heaven, God, there is none like you. The scriptures say that you are seated in heaven in unapproachable light. Jesus, I am so thankful for you and for you coming and dying in my place, God. God, I ask that we, we would be this people. We would be a church, the body of Christ, who does actively surrender our own plans and lay down our own plans so that we can be a part of the plan that you've called us to so that we can be a part of your redirection. And I ask this in Jesus' name.